Welcome in. It's another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Always great to have you with us as we talk some college hoops. And uh, I have the, the best partner you could ask for, the the main man for the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook, the one and only Chris Dorch. What's going on? Gosh, dude, uh, that's a great that's a great intro <laughs> that I'm not sure I deserve. But uh, no, it's, it's it's been pretty cool this week. Uh, obviously watching a lot of games and my College class started back. I've got 19 students, which is the most I've ever had. Uh, it's a sports writing class, and I've got eight uh, female students, which is cool. Uh, I always love having uh, their perspective in things, and by and large, they're very studious and and uh, great additions to the class. So I'm looking forward to this class. They seem like a sharp bunch, and. Uh, um maybe bring you back man uh uh i I had a class last semester where i didn't want to shall we say waste your time (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm available anytime you need me man it just just put out the bad (laughs) signal and and uh yeah I, i'll flash that thing i i enjoy doing that though like i enjoy speaking to classes i, I do well, you're, you're good at it. uh you know you're here and there it. We, you, we, you've got some uh <laughs> you've got some history i mean you've done some cool things um uh, you know started out at the dj uh worked for wsm which uh, to mm-hmm. me uh, i grew up with that because my dad loved country music but that's one of the most legendary iconic radio stations in history so you had that and then you you had a number one rated talk show in nashville forever and now you're the voice of the doors man you you have had one fine career my friend well i, I appreciate it it's been a fun journey and I, I always enjoy sharing those things with students and, and trying to encourage people to, to have their own careers and uh you know you you and i we, we also have our little uh, comedy routine we do we do some impersonations and stuff so that, <laughs> that makes it fun too we should take that on the road <laughs> yeah we need to take that on the road we'll be uh, with your impersonations coming, and... coming soon to a comedy club near you <laughs> <laughs> um I, i've been on the road this week i've uh, been to missouri last saturday and then uh, vanderbilt played at tennessee on tuesday night and um, I added a new gym to the collection, by the way. Mizzou Arena was one that I had not uh, seen a game That's in. That's right. And so uh, I, I'm down to two in the SEC, and I'll have both those uh, within the next month or so. I, I've not been to LSU, and I've not been to Texas A&M. I know we play A&M this month, and we played LSU next month. But uh, Missouri's Arena is beautiful. That was a great place. Uh, and, and it feels like the excitement is back for that program. Uh, Dennis Gates has done a great job. Uh, like a lot of programs, he's reloaded with transfers. He brought four guys with him from Cleveland State. Uh, Kobe Brown's having a really nice season. Uh, had a big second half in the game against Vanderbilt. Uh, Commodores had a great chance to win that game. and could have made some shots here and there, but um, I, it was a big crowd. Even for a, like an 11 a.m. game on a Saturday, they were pretty cranked up in there, but uh, I was pretty impressed with them. And then uh, Tennessee on Tuesday, uh, Volunteers are ranked number five, and Rick Barnes has – this might be the best team he's had since he's been at Tennessee. It's close to it anyway. It feels like they have a little bit of everything. They have good bigs. They have like three big guys. You can throw a, another team's big guy. Uh, they have good guards, including Santiago Vescovi, who's really versatile. He can score at all three levels. Um, if you ask me like what, what one thing they might be missing, it might be another three-point shooter. Uh, but the freshman yeah. Phillips is really impressive. I, I, I like you know Tyree Key. They brought him in, and um, Josiah Jordan James has returned from entry. So I, I thought that team looked really good. Um, they, they played much better in the second half uh, than they did in the first half. Vanderbilt actually led the break. Jordan Wright uh, got a steal and went coast to coast and laid it in. And that was only the second time this season Tennessee had trailed at halftime. But uh, yeah, I saw both those teams on the road, and 
Uh, Vanderbilt plays uh, Arkansas on Saturday and got a little three game, well, a four game stretch against uh, all against ranked teams. So it's a it's a difficult part of the schedule here for uh, Jerry Stackhouse's group. But yeah, road trips for me uh, in the past few days. Uh, you know, I, I really like the the job that Dennis Gates has done. It doesn't surprise me at all. I used to talk to him quite a bit when he was at Florida State. Uh, he he would help me with the NBA.com column that I that I used to write. And, you know, he graduated from Cal in three years. I mean, you can't be a dummy and do that. Right. Uh, so I knew he was smart, and I thought he would be head coaching material. And he, he learned a lot from Leonard Hamilton, but he also learned a lot from Stan Jones, the associate head coach there, who I don't know why someone hasn't made him a head coach. Maybe he just doesn't want that. I've talked to him a little bit about it, but he's one of the best X and O guys ever. So Dennis learned his lessons well and has applied them. And I think what he's done, Kevin, is he's hired or signed guys and hired coaches uh, that have sort of this junkyard dog mentality and a chip on their shoulder and they play like it. And it doesn't surprise me at all that they've, I mean, maybe it surprises me a little bit that they've won so many and, I don't know if the Kentucky win is devalued now or not after the South Carolina game, but it doesn't surprise me that they've been successful because they're always going to be the aggressors. As far as Tennessee, I don't know if it's the best team Rick Barnes has had, but it's the best defensive team, I think. Uh, they've pulled off that rare double of being able to guard from two and also guard uh, the the perimeter. That used to be their, their bugaboo, you know, they, they, they were a sieve from three, and now they're leading the country. <laughs> yeah, they're not a sieve this year. Like 20%. Yeah. When the opponents are shooting 20% from three, you're doing a, a, a lot right out of that three-point line. That, that, you really that's are. a ridiculous but number. It, it is because you think, well, they're also like 12th in the nation in two-point percentage defense. So how do you make that transition from making sure people don't get easy twos on you in the paint and then rushing out and – and contesting the three they do a great job of that occasionally one of their kids will follow a three-point shooter and rick barnes does not like that but you'd almost rather see that sort of aggression than just let people get wide open shots in your game um who was the freshman that came in and knocked down some shots yeah noah shelby uh, kind of let him kind of sneak away he probably wasn't in the scouting report on the first couple of pages. Yeah, I got to think he's probably going to start showing up on the scouting reports more. <laughs> he, he's yeah. an interesting story. Um, you know, he was maybe thinking about a red shirt back earlier in the season. Jerry Stackhouse uh, told us this. Um, he was even talking about it a little bit yesterday that, that Noah had, you know, kind of trying to decide, you know, where he fit in with everything. And he decided just to stick with this season and, and keep on going. And now he's got a little more playing time, and there's no question he he's a fantastic shooter. I mean, you you watch him during practice or shoot around or during games. I mean, his form is perfect. Um, he got in there the other night, like you were talking about. He got fouled on a you know a three point attempt and hit all three of them. Then he hit three more three pointers and ended up scoring twelve points. Um, I, I think the thing for him is uh, on, on the other end of the court, they want to see you know, a uh, development there on the defensive end where his stack was saying that, yeah, he scored 12 points, but he made eight mistakes that led to 14 points for the other team. So we were, <laughs> we were a net minus two, but yeah, they're really excited about his future. And, and, and again, yeah, Tennessee is boy, they, they defend that three so well. And what one thing it's interesting in watching Rick Barnes and, you know, we were sitting right next to Vanderbilt's bench, but you can kind of look down the way and see what's going on. 
he has no qualms about bringing the heat with his players and it doesn't matter who it is or how long you've been there if you if you screw up and he come off he's going to give you an earful i think it was josiah oh, jordan james he definitely that, will. i think it was josiah jordan james when uh I, something didn't go especially well that that rick barnes didn't like and uh yeah he he definitely uh, let him know about and it and he, he loves that kid more than probably anybody he's ever coached yeah. as much as so yeah he nobody uh escapes his wrath but they all love him and i think that it's indicative of of what a good coach can do today that you can coach kids hard if you have their backs right and you know if if you support them and i've i've visited practices where i've gone back to their locker room and i've seen him play video games with with his players and stuff like that and he's just he's a real down-to-earth kind of guy and uh I think he deserves everything he's gotten. He, he's worked hard, and he's really built a culture at Tennessee. They, they've got a culture of defense and rebounding, which Houston uh, has done with Kelvin Sampson. And I think if you can start with those two things, offensive rebounding and, and defensive field goal percentage, you've got a real chance to win some games. We're going to talk about one of Rick Barnes' uh, former stops when uh, we we get around to it in a few minutes. And, of course, that's taxes and what's going on there. Also, some some really interesting matchups in the Big 12 uh, we'll get to as well on our uh, podcast this week. But, you know, as long as we're talking about Tennessee, let's talk about the the game coming up on Saturday as they'll host Kentucky. Yeah, I'm actually going to go to that. Yeah, well, that's going to be an interesting scene because they're they're also retiring Chris Lofton's jersey on Saturday, and I don't think it's any coincidence (laughs) that they're doing it in a game where they're hosting Kentucky because he's from uh, Maysville, Kentucky, which is – you know, big blue and country up there, right? And, and never got a sniff. Like his, his you rec- can't blame Kentucky though. No D one school. No, ex- exactly. Wanted him. Yeah, he wasn't really getting yeah. any any attention when he was playing for Mason County, and then a few years later, he turns out to be one of the great players in the history of the SEC, and certainly one of the greatest shooters. And Dane Bradshaw was telling us some some fun stories last week, and uh, I heard him tell some more of what he told us on the game on Tuesday night when I went back and watched again, but. I think uh, one of the developing stories of this season in college basketball is the situation at Kentucky. Uh, they were expected to be one of the nation's best teams with the return of, of last year's National Player of the Year, Oscar Shibway. They're sitting at ten and six, but they're one and three in the SEC. They got boat raced by Alabama last week, seventy-eight fifty-two. They lost at home to South Carolina, seventy-one sixty-eight. South Carolina's only won at Rupp Arena about twice or maybe three times at most since they've been in the SEC. They'll play at number five Tennessee on Saturday. Chris, I was looking at some of the numbers. In four SEC games, they're only averaging 67 points. This is Kentucky. 43% from the field, 32% from three. For the season, they've shot it much better from three-point land, about 38%. Sheedway's averaging 16 points and 13 rebounds. They've had some injuries, but it seems like the problems are deeper for this program. and The fan base is as furious with John Calipari as as they have been throughout his entire tenure, which goes back about a dozen years. It's crazy. Uh, they actually threw out a fan who was carrying a sign, uh, Cal, go to Texas. Uh, that's, I don't know, maybe they violated his free free speech. I, <laughs> I don't know about that, but here's what's crazy. Usually Kentucky's uh, weakness is three-point shooting. That's traditionally been a weakness for them, but now they're 28th in the nation, as you said, shooting 38%. What's crazy is, is their um, – their defense is 92nd in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency. They're allowing 98.9 points per 100 possessions. So if you give up a point per possession, that that is a sieve. Uh, 
and they've been really vulnerable from three. Their opponents are shooting 35.5%, which is 263rd nationally. And by contrast, you know, Tennessee held uh, South Carolina to 42 points, or uh, beat uh, South Carolina by 42 points. Mm -hmm. uh, and they scored, what, what was it, less than 50. They scored 42 in the first half against Kentucky. And Michi Johnson, who is their best three shooter, uh, Tennessee bottled him up, but he went crazy against Kentucky. I think he had 26. And you're right. It speaks to some and, – and I have one of the all-time terrible predictions in, in our podcast history. I said early on that I thought Tennessee, Kentucky would be really hard to beat. And, you know, they've had some injuries and, and some things, but I, I, I sense that there's some locker room issues there because Oscar Sheboy, after the game – and this was recorded and blasted out on social media. But he told the media, he's gone up to Cal and said, look, play walk-ons if people don't want to compete. You know, so clearly there's some effort there or lack thereof. And they just really haven't, they just really haven't coalesced. And generally, Cal's teams start, I wouldn't say slow, but they get better. Yeah. And part of that's because he's always rebuilding every year. And, and this is a time when he hasn't been able to do it. And I posit this. Uh, he has been ever more reliant on the portal, as a lot of coaches have. And in the past, he was reliant on high school players. And all these great high school players were the leading scorers in their high schools. And they come in with big egos and stuff. But he, he can tame freshmen. But when you've got portal guys that come in and they were the big wheel, uh, the big deal at their last schools. It's a little tougher to tame them when they've got ingrained habits and they're upperclassmen. Yeah. So, and they're, they're 22 years old versus being 18 exactly. years old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're grown men. And, and so maybe that's it. I, I don't know. But um, when Shibway says play walk-ons, if, if you're not going to get in the trenches with me and, and he's as big a warrior as, as it gets and you know people are scared because two years ago they were under 500 last year they flamed out in the first round against st peter's which on paper there was no comparison and you know in their defense they also got by murray state and and uh purdue as well uh in, in last year's tournament and then this year, if, if the tournament started today, as our buddy Joe Lenardi always likes to say, they would not be in it. So uh, the fans are restless. Uh, that's what they do. Uh, fans, we always got to remember, are short for fanatics. And, and they are fanatics about basketball, about winning basketball. Yeah. You mentioned that South Carolina victory. The last time uh, South Carolina beat Kentucky, Billy Gillespie was coach, <laughs> and that was one of the most, or the most disastrous coaching hire in that school's history. Yeah, it's funny how uh, people and <laughs> people who follow Kentucky, it's almost like the Billy Gillespie era never happened, you know. Uh, yeah, and that was before Calipari got there. But e even this morning, and, and I'll be honest, all I know is based on what I've read and the reporting that, that comes out of that program. But you know, the Athletic uh, and Kyle Tucker, they, they've done some 
really interesting stuff, uh, you know, writing about uh, maybe what might be going on, but, you know, a, a potential riff with John Calipari and, and Mitch Barnhart, who's been the athletic yeah. director there for many years and uh, over a practice facility and fundraising. And uh, the, the one thing I noticed, too, is it seems like there's more empties at Rupp Arena and empty seats uh, than there are in previous years and you know people vote with their feet and and when people when administrators start to see empty seats at a place where it's always full that always gets people's attention and you're talking about the, the fan being ejected for bringing a sign there the other night so uh, yeah yeah I, I wonder just what's going to happen and you know I, I was also reading you know just some about the actual on-court stuff and uh the athletic did a really nice piece on on tiers of college basketball coaches and uh talking about calipari and about how oppose some opposing coaches feel like their offense is sort of antiquated and, and easy to scout and easy to defend and I, it's like that that's a, a an eyebrow raiser too when you read stuff like that yeah yeah some people think that uh, i've even heard people say and i never relied on anonymous sources when i did a lot of day-to-day beat writing and some people have and you know that allows your source to really take hot shots and you know, Jeff Goodman and I think the Athletic got some people to say some things. And I say some people theorize that maybe the game is past Cal by. Um, you know, when, when you think about the modern NBA game and, and and even in college, it was started by Villanova with four guards and spacing and shooting a lot of threes and, and you know, uh, what Alabama has done under Nate Oates, twos at the rim, kick out threes mm-hmm. and free throws, you know, you've got to be in tune to, to changes in the game. You've got to be in tune, I think, to analytics. Even an old dog like me, I, I didn't used to think I needed analytics, but I go to Ken Palm every day now, and there are some telling statistics there. And I don't know if Cal has a has an analytics guy on his staff or not, but the, the thing about his future, I mean, he signed basically a lifetime contract. If he were to leave and and didn't take a job, and, and I wouldn't take a job if if I had a forty million dollar buyout. Yeah, if somebody's going to pay I me to go away. <laughs> right, at sixty three. Right. Yeah, it reminds me of a funny story. <laughs> Kevin Stallings once said, "He, you know, he got fired at Vandy, which I thought he did it. I thought he did a fine job at Vandy. You know, he he was kind of cranky and he wasn't like a." a glad hander. And, and, and I think that gets you in the end, but he went to Pitt, and a lot of people thought that was a disastrous hire. And it really wasn't a good fit as good a coach as he is. So he got fired after two years, but he told us me and a couple of other people once that, you know, he had an $8 million buyout at Pitt. And he said one night he, he went to sleep and he had a nightmare. The, the dream was that he didn't get fired. <laughs> he dreamed he couldn't get his eight million dollar oh, buyout man. to walk. Uh, so I don't know. Cal might have those same dreams. Yep. Uh, uh, I don't know. My my favorite all time joke about a buyout. You remember the old coach Abe Lemons, uh, who, who used to be around? He, oh yeah, he coached down in Texas, different places. Oh, he had the greatest quote about <laughs> a, a glass bottom car so it could run over uh, the lost Dodge. Is AD. 
<laughs> but they also had the line that that they wanted to, the boosters wanted to buy out his contract, but nobody had change for a twenty. Uh, I, I think <laughs> I think I've even used that one a few times. I always thought that was pretty pretty one. funny stuff. Well, let's talk about taxes real quick. Uh, what happens there? Chris Beard has been fired. Uh, the team is still good. They're fourteen and two. They're ranked number ten. They host Texas Tech on Saturday. Uh, do I, do they just stay with what's going on there now? Do they look around? I thought Mike DeCourcy wrote a good piece in the Sporting News about what coaches are really willing to make the jump from one power conference school to another and what's really more realistic to expect if you're trying to make a, a hire at one of those places. Yeah, I'll tell you, they should talk to Shaka Smart because when Shaka was at VCU, uh, various points in his career, he had a chance to go to Illinois, NC State, UCLA, and he turned them all down for various reasons. And I could get into that, but we probably don't have that much time. Uh, But I talked to some of his assistants who I got to be friends with, and I said, what would it take for him to leave? And he said, they all said to a man, the Texas job. Hmm. And I said, why? And he said, well, there's great players. They all said there's great players in the state. If you can get them uh you know decent facilities now they got a brand new facility uh and football is king so you you sort of don't have quite the pressure that you would at a true basketball school so he goes down there and i don't want to say he flamed out but he didn't deliver according to expectations and he got out as soon as he could for marquette and sure enough as as soon as he got back to a basketball only school uh, right now, they're one game back of, of first place in the Big East. Uh, so Texas is a tougher job than I think maybe he thought. And I'm telling you, there's no way on God's green earth that Matt Painter is going to leave Purdue, that Eric Musselman is going to leave Arkansas. Uh, you know, everybody says, well, they, they could hire Cal. I don't know that I don't that's see a great that happening. fit. Yeah, I don't uh, see it's a great fit either, right? Yeah, and, and and I don't think there's any way Nate Oates would leave Alabama. I think he's got it going on there. Some people talk about Bruce Pearl from Auburn. You know, he's really got it going on there. So, uh, you know, he may think, well, Texas gives me a, a bigger forum, but they're moving into the SEC in a couple of years. So the forum is no longer the Big 12. Then it becomes the SEC again. So I don't know. I, I just think it's a tough job. Um, Shaka Smart, I've talked to him a little, and again, some of his assistants, and they said that the kind of players that they had to recruit there, which was five-star guys, and they signed a bunch of five-star bigs, all of whom left after one year. So it's always going to be sort of a revolving door if you have to get these quality players. And, and I don't know. But, again, another bad prediction from – no, wait, I got this one right. Uh, <laughs> we talked about Chris Beard a, a couple of weeks ago, and I said this is going to be hard to come back from. Okay, so I'm actually one and one in predictions. Uh, I, I, it was going to be hard to come back from, even though his girlfriend recanted the allegations. Uh, Texas just did not feel comfortable uh, moving forward, even though he was an alum and he was doing a great job. So I really think, Rodney Terry's sitting there. I, I think he's won seven of the eight games, I think, uh, since he's been interim. Uh, he's been a head coach at two other places. They're 14-2 and two and 3-1 and one in the league. I don't know. 
maybe he's got a shot to take that job. Uh, the one realistic coach I could see bolting, and this is not without president, uh, a, a name coach leaving Illinois for the Big 12, uh, um, that would be Bill Self, uh, it would be Brad Underwood. Uh, so, you know, he's a similar coach to Chris Beard with some background in uh, JUCO and non-D1 and uh, a history of turning programs around quickly. So maybe that's maybe that's who I would go after if, if I were their athletic director. And also a very intense coach, as we've uh, seen for sure. Indeed. Uh, a couple other notes. Uh, North Carolina's Armando Baycott hurt his ankle early in their game at Virginia. Uh, fortunately, x-rays showed nothing was broken. That's good news for North Carolina. Not sure how long he will be out. Virginia won that game 65-58. They're having a good season. Number 11, Kansas State uh, has been a surprise with their first-year coach, Jerome Tang. Big matchup at 17th-ranked TCU. I was joking. Is this football or basketball? And uh, a couple good games yeah. in, in the uh, Big 12 on Saturday. 14th-ranked Iowa State will play at number 2, Kansas. Uh, 24th ranked Duke will be at Clemson. I was wondering if the wrong team was ranked here. Clemson 6-0 in the ACC. Uh, Duke did uh, turn things around and won a couple games here in the past few days. Uh, they beat Boston College by one point, 65-64 on the road. And then they uh, beat a good Pittsburgh team, 77-69. Saw some of that game at Cameron the other night. But that was after they had got drubbed over in Raleigh against NC State. I mean, they got blown out of the gym in that game. So uh, that, that, to me, is an interesting one, too, as uh, the Blue Devils head over to South Carolina to play Clemson. Yeah, um, I, I heard some some hot take pundits talk about uh, whether John was ready for that job at Duke. I, I don't think you can be ready to replace the GOAT. No, you can't. You know, uh, he certainly has proven that he's ready in terms of recruiting. And, I, you know, if you're – John is a smart guy, and if you continue to recruit and, you know, they, uh, they've already loaded up for next year and the year beyond, they're starting to get recruits. So I don't think that uh, – Anybody could say that he wasn't the right choice for that job. Uh, a couple of teams that are outside the, you know, the purview of most pundits have, have caught my attention lately. Uh, Florida Atlantic, uh, Dusty May, who used to be on Mike White's staff at Florida, they're 15-1. and one. Uh, He's done a great job since he took over that program in 2018. They've had five straight winning seasons at a program that had been below 500 for the previous seven years, he's already the winningest coach there. Of course, they don't have much of, an F, uh, uh, of a Division One history, but uh, they've beaten some pretty stiff competition in Conference USA, including UAB, uh, which my buddy Andy Kennedy has got playing at a high level. So they've done a great job. They've won 14 in a row. College of Charleston? With Pat Kelsey, has won 16 in a row, and they're ranked number 22 in the AP, 24 in coaches. Uh, he's from the Skip Prosser coaching tree, which, you know, Skip was just a universally loved guy. And yeah. he was one of those guys that, that I don't know, he, he was he, – he played a, a, a quick brand of basketball that I think was, was a, a forerunner to kind of what we're seeing in, in today's game. And then the other team I wanted to mention was Providence – they're 6-0 in tie with Xavier for the top in the Big East. And people are going to have to stop underrating Ed Cooley. Uh, this guy knows what he's doing. And talking about the portal, the portal can be good and can be bad. They've got transfers from St. Joe's, two from LaSalle, one from Louisville, one from UConn, one from South Carolina. And, oh, by the way, one from Kentucky that I bet uh, 
John Calipari wishes he had back, that would be Bryce Hopkins, who's leading Providence in scoring at 16 points a game, rebounding at 9.1, and three-point shooting at 37%. He's also already taken 113 free throws. So, uh, yeah, I wonder, he might look pretty good in that Kentucky lineup right now. Yeah, I've seen a couple of uh, ex-Kentucky players at different places. I saw one of them with Fresno State, and I saw another with Washington when we did that uh, tournament out in California, Keon Brooks playing for Washington these days. Yeah. And um, you, know, you were talking about those schools, and, and when you said FAU and you said Providence, I was thinking, well, I've been to both of those places with uh, different sorts of memories from each one. Let me tell you, when <laughs> FAU used to be in the in the Atlantic Sun Conference when Belmont was in right. the A-Sun, and there is no better place to go in the middle of January or February when it's really cold in Tennessee than, than to go play in Boca against FAU. I always like going down there. <laughs> that, that was that was a good stop. And then there's Providence. We we played there. Uh, it's probably been about five seasons or so ago, and uh, they were good. We played we played at the Dunkin' Donuts Center, which there was no donuts to be found in the Dunkin' Donuts Center, and I was very disappointed oh, about that. I took a lap around. I was like, you know, I'm going to have a donut at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. And like, well, no, sure. we, we don't have any donuts. We have coffee. It's like, okay, I guess that'll have to do. What happened in that game was is Belmont scored a bucket at the very end. It seems like it was on a lob play to Dylan Windler, and it uh, looked like we're going to have a chance to, to get out of there with a win. And Providence hit a buzzer beater from about – uh, about 30 feet to win the game uh Kyron Cartwright I believe was the name of the player and, and he knocked one down and yeah I've been to those places I've not been to College of Charleston I've been to Charleston I, which, is a, which is a wonderful place yeah that's a beautiful I was city ask but you I've about not, that. yeah I, I've not I, not been I there used, I used to cover uh games there and and the Citadel I remember one time my buddy Les Robinson who coached at ETSU and, and NC State and the Citadel he had some friends that uh he pulled some strings and got us this uh condo on the beach i I don't think we even paid for it but uh man my you could hear the waves lapping on the on the shore uh, from my window and i'm thinking man i could live here uh it's funny your friend and mine ed conroy reminded me uh when i did the citadel story for blue ribbon this summer uh he said that charleston had been voted the number one city in the country so uh that's that's pretty awesome. He said he's made some good stops. You know, he's he's been in New Orleans and Nashville and Minneapolis, St. Paul and, and Charleston. So uh, he's made the rounds with some pretty good cities. Yeah, I got the feeling in talking to him, though, that, that Minneapolis might have been a little cold. <laughs> a little, little cold. I'll never forget when, when Tubby Smith went up there and one of his assistants uh, wasn't going to go with him. And I said, why not coach? And he said, if you check the average snowfall up there, he said, I'd have to put my uh, golf clubs in in dry dock. (laughs) Ed was telling me that, you know, when they brought recruits in, in the fall, that if they're going to take them to a football game, they made sure to take them to a football game. That was early in the season that they tried to get them to a September game. They didn't want to wait till like November, you know, when it was cold and probably snowing by then. I I thought that was pretty funny stuff. Uh, uh, By the way, uh, another matchup to watch for this weekend, Marquette and Xavier, Marquette at 14 and four and Xavier at 14 and three, a couple really good teams. That game game for big East supremacy in in the big East. That game will be coming up on Sunday. Chris, let's finish up the show as a, we, we often do uh, talking about maybe something other than basketball and uh, a couple notable deaths just this week. Uh, Lisa Marie Presley, uh, as we record this, died yesterday. She was just 54 years old. The daughter of Elvis and, and Priscilla Presley uh, was just on the Golden Globes earlier this week. That was super sad. And Jeff Beck, the uh, 
the all-time great guitarist, 78 years old. I mean, he's a guy who's considered with the likes of Clapton and Jimi Hendrix. I was reading about him, and you know, I, I knew about him, and I knew his sound, but he played with everybody. His, his resume is remarkable. Uh, known for playing without a pick, uh, was on the music scene for nearly 60 years. He won Grammys in five different decades. I was reading about him meeting Jimmy Page when they were teenagers. Uh, he joined the Yardbirds on Jimmy Page's recommendation. And, uh, you know, I was reading about them being studio players and all these things uh, over in England. Really, really interesting. But uh, the losses of Lisa Marie Presley and Jeff Beck earlier in the week, uh, I thought both those were very sad. Yeah, Jeff Beck, I, I was turned on to by my college roommate who um... – Jeff, of course, started in the Yardbirds, which at one time had Eric Clapton and Jimmy Page in their lineup. And I looked on Apple Music, and they said this about Jeff Beck. Of the triumvirate of guitar gods to emerge from the Yardbirds' brief, if monumentally influential, original 60s incarnation, Jeff Beck was arguably the most gifted. So uh, my college roommate turned me on to this uh, fusion instrumental album called Blow by Blow, was actually produced by the Beatles, George producer George Martin, and it just blew my mind. Uh, I just couldn't believe the sounds that he was getting out of his guitar. Uh, you know, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice, uh, once with the Yardbirds in 92, and as a solo artist in 09. So huge loss for the music community. He was only, I say only, but these days, uh, you live a little longer, it seems. Yeah. Um, but he got some kind of, bacterial infection yeah meningitis and i think it was 78 mm-hmm. years old and that's a huge loss the lisa marie presley thing uh kind of freaked me out a little bit she just five days ago she was in memphis celebrating her father's what would have been his 88th birthday and then a couple of days after that she was at the golden globes with austin butler who had played her father in that latest elvis movie and then she drops dead of a heart attack and i i had to go back and look she was 54 her grandmother uh her great-grandmother gladys presley died at age 46 of a heart attack they say elvis was never the same after that because he was a mama's boy for sure and elvis died at 42 of cardiac arrest uh probably brought on by a myriad of reasons right uh but yeah, I guess it just runs in the family. But Lisa Marie had tragedy in her life. She was just nine when Elvis died, and uh, she had a son commit suicide, and and now this happens. So um, Priscilla Presley is the one who who endures all this tragedy now. Uh, uh, you know, with all, all these passings. Uh, but yeah, it's crazy. You just, I'll tell you what. I tell this to my students. I've told it to my kids. Uh, and I've got experience with this kind of thing, having walked off a plane crash. Uh, man, you just never know. So enjoy the moment. <laughs> yeah, that, that is, that's great advice. And I, I've thought a lot about those sorts of things myself, uh, especially over the last few years. Well, Chris, uh, enjoy the weekend. I know you're headed to see uh, Tennessee play Kentucky on Saturday, and uh, we'll catch up again next week, man. Always a lot of fun. Sounds good, buddy. Thanks. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.